book. Read a book. Read a motherfucking book. Just here for the show. Shorty came in. She caught me red-handed. Creeping with the girl next door. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) That's gonna be on there. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. A brief overview of this evening's episode will include the intros and hellos, followed by a new news. Our main discussion will dive into all things forensic geologies. Mm. So between the bars of our main discussion, we present to you another Mineral Minute. And before signing off, we will close things out with it. That freaking rocks, perhaps. So a big thank you to all of our listeners out there for spending what for spending your time with us each week and allowing for us to bleed. Pl- so for spending your time with us each week and allowing us to be played between your earballs if you'd like to reach out to us whether it be for episode ideas preguntas you are wanting <laughs> contestada or simplemente para contarnos todas las veces que nos equivocamos you can reach out to us at geologyotr at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at Geology on the Rocks Podcast. So it does look like things are pretty squared away over here. So without further ado, to all of you over there, soy tu anfitrion, Jaime El Geologo. And I'm your creamy dream, Brian Baggins. And I am a hot Carl. <laughs> yeah. yes. And this is Geology, Geology on the Rocks. Rocks. Well, hola, mis amigos. Hola. Episode 44. Yeah. Or more aptly, season four, episode nine. Same, 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 same. Mm. How's everyone been? It's been a it's been a hot Carl minute. A hot Carl minute. <laughs> it's been yes. a hot minute. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Muy good. bien. Muy bien. Yeah. So I say that because one of us had a birthday since our last time that we talked. What? It was my birthday. What? Why oh. didn't you tell us? <laughs> I did. I told you, like, I'm going to Mexico for my birthday. I didn't know that's why you went. Yeah, no, neither I, did I. I thought I le- you just were. And I left yeah. all my cave stuff at my office. So, so you went to the cenotes. I went to the cenotes. Oh, they're so awesome. They are. Tulum the is. Incredible. Yeah, no, that's that's where we were. We were yeah. at uh, Tulum, Akumal. Yeah, so that's where I did all my birthday. Like, all my, it was. We went to look at the Aztec ruins, and then oh, we yeah. went swimming in the cenotes. And so I, I dove to the bottom. I went about like 12 feet, 15 feet, yeah. and I found a stalactite, and what? I. That was like broken off in the you water and I put it in my pocket and I kept it. Uh, it wasn't, gr- it was, it was in the, yeah, yeah. the rubble. It was yeah. going to eventually get dissolved away anyway. Yeah. Um, How bad is that? Because like, well, let's like say you, you take it's a not rock actually, from a state park. Yeah. I mean. How bad is that? We just don't talk about that. Okay. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. Apparently like you're not supposed to take stuff from places. Yeah. Cause it's blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I feel like as a geologist, like I don't, I'm, I don't care. Like it yeah. was on the ground. I'd put it in my pocket and right. it is very, uh, I don't know, uh, crumbly. So yeah. I want to put it in some kind of epoxy and I don't know, but it, be cool. it's really cool. It's about, I don't know, about seven inches. That's awesome. And the water there is so clear. It like is. Beyond, it's probably the clearest water I've ever seen. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. So it was a good way to spend my 34th birthday. Did y'all <laughs> snorkel through it? 34. <laughs> yeah. He's, okay, 35. I'm 33. 35. I laughed because you made a face like you were oh. lying. That's well, why I, I laughed. I <laughs> yeah. Did you snorkel? Yeah. Through and did, I remember the, on one of the tours, like the cave ceiling gets lower and lower and uh, then you're like oh that's yeah I, I don't think it was that one but there was if you i don't know the more advanced like the i guess the people that work there they said if you can hold your breath for like uh like 45 seconds to a minute you, you can go through this passage and get into like a little air pocket and i was like i dare not i do don't that. know i don't know about that that sounds awful because I, I would get down yeah. and i'd be like uh, yeah. like what if you 
<laughs> couldn't see where you're going. Yeah, you have, I, exactly. Did, did they give you a light? Well, they had a flashlight oh, that they yeah, would shine yeah. down there. Yeah, I did that, and That's then cool. jumped off little cliffs into the outdoor cenotes because there was like the the one that was in the cave, yeah. like the underwater rivers, and then there was the outdoor one where we saw a blue lobster. Pretty cool. Wow, that's cool. Pretty cool. And then I took a whole bunch of coral and sand home that nice. you're not supposed to do either yeah. because I guess I'm not going to say anymore. Yeah, well, it's just <laughs> not. I did that. But I took like big pieces of uh, coral. I was like, this is going to look awesome on my uh, on yeah. my shelf, but they're at my work. Uh, yeah. We should have broken into the school at night. Yeah. And do a podcast there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just somewhere randomly yeah. in there yeah no we got that's this cool. we just need a little bit of power no but yeah. so how was like yeah so how about that's excellent you've been doing a whole bunch of field work yeah it was a uh, hence the break in all of this i know sorry it was a two-week jaunt in the ozarks it was pretty nice so you were in um i guess wyoming yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> I was in Misery and Arkansas. Yeah, Misery. Yeah. Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas is beautiful. It, Eureka Springs is now one of my new... Did you have an towns. aha moment there? I did. <laughs> I did. I realized everyone there is Hard. on drugs or, or drunk all the time, but it, it was awesome. No, um, I, I can yeah. imagine. And just so everyone knows, I was kidding about Wyoming. Like I was... Yeah, we don't really think that those works. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. But yeah. But you, what have you been doing? Not a thing. Not, Not a thing. Carling. Yeah. Just, just as little you know, as possible. Like I said, just binge binge watching shows mm. um yeah i got through boba fett and then i was like pedro pascal he's pretty cool so now i'm on to narcos narcos that's how those oh, well i think that's, that's why, okay. well then I, I think that's going to be interesting because that's what we're gonna i guess close the episode out with is a little bit of um uh, mystery and how we can yeah. use uh forensic geology to help solve cases but that actually well, then, came up on our field trip what so, forensics yeah um we visited a site and they said yeah the fbi is gonna do a soils class out here sometime and mm -hmm. they teach you how how to look at what's disturbed burials of okay. like for murders oh. and they'll help you like characterize that i mean I don't see how that wouldn't be obvious, but I don't, I don't know. know either. Yeah. Like freshly dug up soil. Yeah. Or like 30 year old, like cold case stuff. Mm. Oh, anyways, nice. yeah. that's kind of, well, yeah. Well, cheers everyone. Yeah. Mm. I, I wanted to write this one out as like a kind of like a actual murder podcast, but yeah. I'm not creative like that. So we'll just stick to what we do know. And, sure. uh, but before let's get into a little bit of new news. And we should apologize that we didn't, we have not answered the questions yet. Oh yeah. No, but, but we will can, do that. But that can be our last episode. So this uh, yeah. would be the, so we have two more but to close out this yeah. season. We will answer them. So don't think we're not, we will never forget. Never. <laughs> Though we have forgotten some <laughs> we of have, them. Yeah. Like, like the. <laughs> <laughs> but we will reread them. <laughs> we will. I'll go back through. I promise. Yeah. All right. New news. So well, I guess I, we don't have to do this. I let's just um go into it then yeah we yeah so okay. we, we talked about doing this because it widens the perspective on what a geologist can do and how they can be useful yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah like the big one now is like climate change and and resources and stuff but we can also help people that need to figure out who <gasps> killed who dun 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 <laughs> that kind of thing all right so, so then i guess then it's going to be on to the the mysterious interface between geology and forensics yep. and so i guess the the word forensics here in this context really is going to mean the application of scientific methods and techniques to the investigation of crime. And really, it's going to, I guess, what's going to encompass a wide range of endeavors from gathering and analyzing of evidence to offering uh, really this expert testimony in the court of law. Forensic specialists can come in all shapes and sizes. They exist in almost endless variety of scientific disciplines. Um, that'll include anthropology, biology, entomology, uh, chemistry,
chemistry, serology, psychology, and of course, geology. Another associated term I was reading about is criminalistics. That's and, a fun word. Yeah. And criminalistics is the application of scientific techniques in collecting and analyzing physical evidence in criminal cases. See, and I, I, I had no idea that was even a word or a thing, yeah. to be honest. Interesting. I didn't know a word could sound like that. So, you, you know, I've always wondered about <laughs> crime investigations as like my wife, she loves her some 2020 men. Oh, like yeah. I, if I <laughs> if I step out of line, I I know she knows how to dispose of my oh, body God, in a way. Okay. Right. But so I, I wonder, you know, it, it put the thought in my head. Was there a time when science really wasn't part of the investigation process? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. before mm-hmm. it was unified or codified mm. <laughs> because I was reading about <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, because I was I was reading about when science was first introduced into the realm of law enforcement, right? And while there was no real definitive date, I'm sure though it was uh, certainly in use in some areas of the world long before it became a recognized field of study. Yeah, I imagine it to be like the in the Western world, there were initially large social barriers between the shady world of the Bow Street runners, right, and then the rarefied ivory towers of the gentleman scientists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Bow Street runners were actually London's first professional police force, founded circa 1749. Mm. Fun facts. So, right, yeah, yeah, because the the most early scientists were really, right, those ones who were independently wealthy at the time, so. Which came with the often higher social ranks. Early history of law enforcement, believe it or not, on the other hand, was unfortunately rife with the tales of corruption, incompetencies, and even murder. Mm. So it was no wonder that the scientists of the time would have considered it well beneath them to even speak to a cop Oh, you bloody <laughs> uh, Much less work with one or goodness forbid for them. Right, right. Not to insult anyone's knowledge, but the, the birth of the modern science of geology is usually linked to the 1785 presentation of a paper entitled The Theory of Earth by, can we say rock daddy? Because well, he kind of is. But yeah. he's the second most famous I guess, James yeah. in geology. Right, right. But he would be James Hutton. He wrote this to the Royal Society of Edinburgh. Yeah, right. The The second most famous James in geology, I might add. I'm Again, just going to put that yeah. out there. Again, yeah. Fun uh, facts. But okay, based on years of observation of geological processes and action in the layering of exposed rock, we call that stratigraphy. Hutton explained that the Earth must be much older than previously thought. Oh, that was the sicker point in angular unconformity. Yeah, that's what you were talking about uh, the last episode, right? Mm-hmm. Or two episodes ago? I don't know. Don't but you. But from observations, he hypothesized that there had to have had been several cycles of deposition, uplift, deformation, and erosion in order to form the sequences of rock layers exposed. And each of these cycles must have occurred slowly, as demonstrated by the geological processes in action today. Day. Therefore, the Earth must have an extremely long history. Well, at least the Earth does. <laughs> yeah. History. Mm-hmm. Hutton went on. <laughs> God. Bold. Bold him. <laughs> oh, I'm fired. Oh, yeah, I right. was just, I was, there was a documentary I was watching where this guy, he was an archaeologist or a geologist or something, and he was like, history doesn't go back enough for me. And that's why he did Whoa. geology. And I think about that 
all the time. That is cool. That is a good way to think about yeah. it. But yeah, so Hutton, he went on to publish his two-volume Theory of the Earth 10 years later in 1795, rather, expanding on his previous work and presenting one of the fundamental principles of geology, uniformitarianism. And uniformitarianism, remember, is the concept that the geological processes that work today shaping the Earth are the same processes that have been active throughout geological history. I like that. Yeah. And the phrase that sums it up being, the present is the key to the past. Mm, that That's is. like our motto right yeah it really is yeah. and sometimes i say the past is key to the present too. i mean it yeah it works both ways it is it's kind of um, like you and me yeah. on, at field camp you and me together it is yeah so we can think of it like this the surface of the earth has not been shaped by random unknowable events but rather for the most part uh, by processes that we can see in action right now right and this this concept also establishes a link between geologists and the world of forensics where scientists and both are using clues from the past to work out a really a sequence of events to determine what happened one of the mm-hmm. first criminal cases to mention geologic evidence occurred in 1786 in Kirk and Scott Scotland. A couple returned home to find their adult daughter lying dead on the floor, dun, dun. her throat slashed. Wow. It was established that she did not commit suicide and that her attacker was left-handed. Oh, mm. I'm going to take no. I'm left-handed. Just like Barack Obama. Oh, man. Yeah. Only Thanks other, a lot, Obama. <laughs> yeah, way to time travel. <laughs> only other clues to the identity of the murderer were footprints found in boggy ground near the family's cottage. Right, and mm. plaster casts were actually made of these footprints and the the boots of all the men who attended the young woman's funeral were examined smart. So none matched. Eventually, the authorities did find a boot that matched the plaster cast, and it belonged to the laborer named Richardson. Uh, Just Richardson. So he was a Dick's son. Dick's son. (laughs) It turned out that Dick's son, he was actually left-handed and had several scratches on his face. Uh, And initially, okay, Dick's appeared to have an alibi since he had been at work with two other men that day. Additional questioning revealed that Dick's (laughs) left the other men to go to the blacksmiths and that he had gone for much longer Mm-mm-mm. than expected. When he returned, Richard Dixon, excuse me, had scratches on his cheeks and muddy feet. Dun, dun, yeah. Dun. During a search of his cottage, investigators found stockings that were bloodstained and covered in mud that was identical to the mud near the farm cottage. Of okay, the yeah, they're piecing it together yeah, now, yeah. right? So apparently the mud contained a significant amount of sand and was unlike hmm. the soils found elsewhere in the area. Sandy clay? So, yeah. Hello? No, I guess it and, be well, it depends. Yeah, that's USCS versus USDA. Hey, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. All right. So yeah, but it actually it turned out that the young woman was pregnant <gasps> and that oh. Dixon oh was her lover. So oh. he was actually found guilty of her murder and wow. he subsequently confessed before he was executed. And he murdered his kid. I know. What the hell? While this case is more famous for its precedent setting use of plaster casts, forensic geology also played an important supporting role. <laughs> So arriving at the scene of a horrendous crime, the crime scene investigator surveys the surroundings. A brutal murder occurred here just hours before. And as everyone knows, the first 24 hours following a crime are critical. His steely-eyed gaze sweeps the room and he spots what may have been a vital piece of evidence. It is most likely the one piece of evidence that will blow the case wide open and identify the murder. He marches across the room, bends over, Uh-oh. and... Well, let's hold up there. <laughs> Unlike okay, this is not field yeah. camp where we go yeah. both ways. <laughs> I just bend over the bed. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? 
<laughs> I'm so glad you remember that. <laughs> How can okay. I forget? Yeah. Unlike on the television shows, the last thing in the world a real crime scene investigator is going to do at this point is go tromping across the crime scene <laughs> to pick up evidence. Right. So there, I guess there today, there are more strict rules that must be followed in order to preserve the integrity of the evidence collected and to ensure that the at as much information as possible is collected at the scene of the crime. Right. So like whenever you go, if you were to do like paleomagnetic studies, right, mm. you would have to keep the orientation of how you drilled it right. so you could make any kind of orientation. Otherwise... Yeah, so I guess you could do the same thing in forensic geology. Yeah. So. Not in the script, but have y'all seen Batman? Which one? one? Oh, no, one? I want to no. so bad. Okay. Is it good? It's so good. So good. Is, is it, it better than I'm the trilogy? Go see like it again. the mm. Better than like Batman Begins and Dark Knight. Then, it's different. Um, do you, if you like comic books, graphic novels, it's so good in that way. Like you can tell in some scenes that it was oh, really? drawn as a comic. It's cool. really good cinematography. Okay. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I, like, I, I'll make thing. a, a confession. The what was the really long one? It was like abnormally long. The last one, the Dark Knight. And it wasn't the was one with the Joker, but the one ben before that. Mm. I don't know. I don't know either. I fell asleep in it in the movie theater. Oh, with and was Bane? Snoring. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe. I think Christian Bale maybe was the Batman. Yeah. I thought it was good. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it was I just bad. I just fell like, asleep. Fighty, fighty at the beginning. <laughs> the fighty, fighty. Yeah. Can I have some more whiskey? You may. So there, there are strict <clears throat> rules that must be followed in order to preserve the integrity of the evidence collected and to ensure that as much information as possible is collected at the scene of the crime. No one interested in solving a crime would risk compromising the scene the way they do on television. <laughs> I wouldn't imagine so. <laughs> Classic unsolved crimes are often so because of improper crime scene procedures leading to doubts about the quality or even legitimacy of the evidence selected. So was that bloody glove really found at the crime scene yeah. or was it planted? Mm. Dun dun. So who really dropped that cigarette? So once <laughs> the integrity of a crime scene is lost, there is no getting it back, if that makes sense. Do y'all remember Lockhart's exchange principle, which can be paraphrased as every contact results in an exchange of material? No. Yeah. So every person <laughs> passing through a crime scene will leave something behind and will pick something up. This applies not only to the bad guys, but also to everyone else. So speaking, I just, I'm just going, oh, go ahead, Brian. No, you, you look can, so you sad. You no, so, okay, so there is a, uh, her name is Octavia Butler, and she, I think, was, you know who she is, mm -hmm. right? She's one of the, well, I guess she is the first black female science fiction writer. Oh. But she wrote this uh, story in the 90s that kind of it's called parable of the sower and it's about you know she it's about it's set in 2024 and it's like parallels like kind of everything that's going what, on with really? our world now but she said everything you touch you change and everything you change changes you the yeah. only truth is change change is god i need to read this wow. i i just bought that the book is, that is because i was listening powerful. to that and i heard that and i was like oh my god like that's oh, awesome yeah. but like how I you got, say got every kind of chills hearing yeah that, so you when know? you said you know there's an exchange of material but like yeah. everything you touch you change and everything you I change changes yeah. you but anyways humans take they we take. take yeah you know those bastards yeah. Fuck them. Oh my god well okay so each person passing through a crime scene following the crime will obscure or confuse matters to a certain degree thus the number of people entering leaving the crime scene they must be strictly controlled as must the conduct of each person at the scene 
The first officers to arrive are responsible for securing the scene. This means that they must do their best to ensure that everything stays exactly the way it was when they arrived. Yeah, right. right. No no one should be allowed to wander around the scenes. No toilets should be flushed. No phones <laughs> used. And no towels moved. Right, but that, I mean, I feel like that should just go without saying. Like, like sense, nothing right? should really be disturbed. Yeah, yeah, but people don't. When they're Sometimes in like you a... you gotta pee, you know? Yeah. Like we were inspecting seepage at a dam once and a sand boil popped up, which means material's been piped out from underneath like the subsurface. Well, this dude walks over and just goes, wow, yeah, that's that's some SP sand. It's like, dude, we're we're monitoring the movement of the material. Now it's all muddied up. Like people just don't think. Yeah, I get it. It's human nature. You it just is. want to be like, curious. Oh, we're curious. curious. Yeah. Yeah. But it fucks stuff up. Stucks. <laughs> yeah, the only exception uh, to this is when life-saving measures must be taken. Not only does the evidence at the scene need to be preserved, nothing should be inadvertently added either. Random cigarette butts have led to no end of problems. And it would be impossible to find the original footprints of a perpetrator if another dozen people have just wandered around that same ground. Right. And then I think to the cigarette butts, too, of being like when we talked with Dale about being the most uh, oh, yeah. the the when on the beaches, it's the most anthropogenic marine debris. Yeah. Is cigarette butts. Yeah. He was like, what do you think is the most? And I think I said bottle caps or yeah. something. And you said cigarettes and got it. Yeah. yeah. I, if, but yep. anyway, so, yeah, police agencies have detailed policies describing the duties of the first officer at the scene. So what? What they're to do so um the following is just a general description of what will happen at the crime scene and is by no means an authoritative nor does it include all of the responsibilities of the police such as the ensuring that the suspects are still not present mm. instead this description concentrates on the procedures necessary for the collection of trace evidence and does not necessarily even apply to the collection of biological evidence which often requires special handling technically a crime scene includes not just the obvious location of criminal activity such as a murder scene but but any areas where evidence could be collective. So sometimes a crime scene might actually comprise two or more discrete locations miles apart. Right, right. So for example, if you will, if a body is found dumped in one location and the murder scene is somewhere else, both of these areas are part of the crime scene itself. So if, if the car that was used to transport the body is also located, it too becomes part of the scene of the crime. So I mean, I think that's a distinction made because I always think of like, oh, the crime scene is oh. here, right? It's not a, a location. It's mm. all of this put together. Yeah. So Where a how person can we... was murdered, but plus. Yeah, plus. Yes, plus. and instead of yes, but. Yeah. Comma, or pause, yes. and. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Good job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so each crime is different, which means that the initial responding officer must approach it carefully and be ready to adapt to the situation at hand. This officer is placed in the unfortunate position of having to accomplish several things at once. One of their initial duties is to secure the scene. This could mean something as simple as locking a door, stringing up rope, or crime scene tape. Or it could mean setting up barricades, chasing away all the sightseers. Um, not only should the visible crime scene be protected, but likely zones of the perpetrator's entry and exit have to be preserved. Yeah, right. So the routes leading to the crime scene may yield evidence just as important what is found at the scene itself. So if possible, there should be a buffer zone and enough area to create an entry and exit pathways for investigators. So everyone working the scene would generally enter and leave along the same route to minimize their impacts of the scene. Another of the first responders' responsibilities is to take detailed notes recording their precise time of arrival, information about the condition of the scene, and creating a chronological record of when additional personnel arrived and what was done. It can sometimes be vital to know which lights were turned on or off, what doors were open, if any telephones were off the hook, 
or if there were any distinct odors. And Field then, notes, right? Yeah. Field notes are the your your best friend, honestly. And yeah. then obviously, if injured people are at the scene, the administration of the first aid takes priority over the protection of the crime scene. But if at all possible, the exact location of the victim should be noted, photographed, and or sketched, and emergency medical responders should be direct into and out of the scene so as to minimize their impact again. So, uh, If there is a body at the scene once death has been established, it should remain untouched until arrival of the coroner or medical examiner. Or if it's just your thing, you touch you it. You can... No, that yeah. shouldn't be anybody's <laughs> thing. <laughs> Field camp stories again, J- yeah. uh, James. I just... No. Hmm. I said Jason. Did I just give Whoa. it away? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Sorry, it's because we gave him we gave him that medicine <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah. it looked like he was Who knows? Dead. Who knows? Okay. Okay. Original positions of anything that Sorry. the medical team moves, <laughs> such as furniture, need to be recorded. Otherwise, nothing at the scene should be moved unless absolutely necessary and the telephones at the scene should not be used. And then once the scene is under control, witnesses and possible suspects should be located and separated as soon as possible. So everyone needs to be kept from discussing what they have seen and thereby inadvertently or unintentionally tampering with each other's memories. Interestingly, that tendency to tidy up can be a stress reaction uh, unrelated to guilt or innocence in any witness at the scene. They have to be kept from indulging any like mm. housekeeping or sweeping the dirt in the kitchen floor, wiping up spilled liquids. Dude, that, that, that is weird kind of like automatic. Like I always yeah. feel like if I'm just like idle and like, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. So like s- are weird. We have to, I have a tangent for a second. So like um, one of the geologists I was out there with, his son is a, a surgeon and he was talking about like of human like reactions, right? If they don't eat lunch before they do surgery and they cut people open, the red meat makes them salivate. And they like have horrible, Whoa. nasty jokes. They're like, oh, I guess he didn't eat his lunch. And it's like, this guy's like, <laughs> oh my God. And it's, it's a thing though. Like, I know. I meet like, wow. and just the act of cutting too. Kind yeah. Of, maybe just like, like that. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's really morbid. He goes, no, no, they're not being like, he was being super sciencey about yeah. it. And yeah. I was like, I get it. But dude, if I saw someone salivating oh, while man. cutting someone else, I'd. No, I thought you were just going to say <laughs> something about people passing out. No, like, no, no, no. Because I, when worse. I was in like bio lab, and we were doing pigs. I remember oh, my professor yeah. being like, you have to have breakfast. It's going to be so much worse if you don't have... And it smells so bad. Yeah. Ooh, I hate uh, formaldehyde. Yeah. Like the... I don't know if you've ever gone back there, Carly, but... I love b- it back b- there. Behind the oh, science. Back there. By the yeah. behind the science The labs. hot Carl area. Ooh. Oh, I wish it was called the hot Carl area. <laughs> the hot Carl. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like a hot Carl yeah. back there sometimes. It really does. Ugh. Oh, God. Gross. I, I love it. I love the sound of the washer the dishwasher like i could just go back there and hide are we talking about behind all the science yeah uh, behind the science learning center Mm -hmm. where they have all the lab stuff how does it sound can you do it yeah yeah that is how it sounds it's so peaceful Okay. Like I would that's love not what to it sounds that. like Nortite. that's like what a baby's heartbeat sounds like oh an ultrasound yeah. oh gosh yeah <laughs> yeah but you can tell when they when they do the dissecting because it, it just smells like oh. formaldehyde back there and it's like gross like bleh, I can't it's like pale sound it's weird I don't know like because because the skin is pale yeah. on the pig mm-hmm. and it just it makes me think of a pale earth uh, luso luco granites, granites. <laughs> 
<laughs> Those are boring granites. Actually, they can have some cool stuff. Mm. Mm. Well, we can talk about Luke. We did talk about granites. Never mind. Granites and granites. Granites, granites, and granites. Go on. One of the next people <laughs> to arrive at the scene would typically be the lead investigator. Investigators, the person persons, would be ultimately responsible for oversight of the entire case. It is usually the lead investigator's job to determine what other personnel are needed at the scene and to perform tasks such as securing search warrants if necessary. Um, right, it, right. It'd usually be the lead investigator's decision to call in others such as crime scene technicians to assist with the investigation so basically it's like the i guess the maestro doing yeah. like hey you do this or a manager if you will right you can't have everybody you need the master you, of puppets yeah right right yeah. right so then on to processing the crime scene right so getting into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty so that was kind of like the the setup so the the processing of the crime scene is a lengthy and exacting process that involves detailed documentation of the conditions at the scene and collection of all pertinent physical evidence so in large cities a team of investigators would, who specialize in the identification collection and preservation of physical evidence would process the crime scene, right? So uh, many different names are used for these teams, such as the crime scene team. That's a, I don't like the way that flows. And then there's the crime scene investigators, the CSIs, right? So there's <laughs> yeah. Miami and uh, Las Vegas. What are the other ones? There's all of the all of them. There's just CSI. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but right. And, or they could just be simply evidence technicians. Yeah. And areas with smaller forces, so specially trained police officers, um, they might collect the evidence. In whichever case, the lead investigator would not be the person doing this work. It would be the CST involved in the interrogation of suspects or interviewing witnesses. Furthermore, the people who collect the evidence very rarely are the same people who perform the analysis. And it's kind of like if you're a grad student, you have a principal investigator. He's not <laughs> running in the chem he's not you know yeah it's, it's usually you're yeah. like yeah the the cookie they're like hey exactly. i have this research for you to do do right. it tell me what you find right i get that and then the <clears> cst <throat> would usually just be called in after the scene has been secured so this team would consist of just one or two crime scene technicians or would be the whole group of people with a range of different types of expertise yeah and if it's not already been done the first thing the cst would do is to set up a command post outside of the crime scene with the sign-in sheet for everyone entering and leaving the scene the sign-in also serves as part of the chain of custody for any items or samples collected. Next, the CST would then conduct a survey of preliminary walkthrough to make observations, create plans for processing the scene, and then nothing would be touched yet, right? So everyone at this point is conducting a visual examination, so. Yeah, and the goal here is you take note of as much possible about the scene. You gather information about such things, like the points of entry and exit. We talked about items out of place, items that are missing, anything that would potentially be evidence. The only exception to the no touching rule no, is, with, uh, is with transient evidence. Evidence that by its very nature or due to the conditions at the scene will disappear or lose its evidentiary value if not preserved or protected, such as wet shoe prints, blood stains in the rain, or small quantities of spilled liquid must be processed as quickly as practicable. In this case, the crime scene technicians have to work swiftly to preserve and record what they can. I just imagine that's where they, they pull out the plastic bag and they're like, oh yeah. Yeah, I just think like of the ET. Tweezers. Yeah, like the people in ET that come in and they're like, "Oh yeah, so, yeah." I remember watching that <laughs> in seventh grade in Spanish. Oh yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. Well, following that walkthrough, the CSC will come up with a search plan 
And since each scene is different, the resulting plans will be based on the situation. In all cases, searches must be performed systematically and thoroughly. Members of the CST work their way methodically through the area following a specific pattern. For example, working an outdoor scene using a line search pattern or spiraling around inside a room working from bottom to top. Mm. Each item of evidence Mm. would be tagged with a numbered freestanding marker or a flag, again, without touching anything. Yeah, right. So in complex crime scenes, once again, an investigator finishes searching an area. They often trade places with someone else who would then search the same area over again, often using a reverse pattern i.e. working from top to bottom rather than bottom to top and to recheck the area for anything that was missed the first time. Still without moving anything, the scene could be photographed, sketched, measured, and possibly videotaped. As one crime scene analyst from Virginia put it, (laughs) shoot your way in and shoot your way out. Everything should be photographed from far away and from up close. So the CST photographer would start by taking pictures of the overall crime scene from a variety of angles and vantage points. Each item of evidence would be photographed several times, initially from a distance to orient the evidence within the overall scene, and then from close up. Send nudes, if you will. Yeah. From all angles. (laughs) All angles. (laughs) All angles. And close up. (laughs) So all close up photographs should include a scale. Yeah, please. We all know what you're doing out there. I'm like... (laughs) So all close-up photographs should include a scale, a direction of an up indicator, if not horizontal, and be taken at a 90-degree angle. So film is cheap, as is media for digital storage of a myriad of image files. files. So everything should be well photographed, even if its relevance is not immediately apparent. So a photograph of dusty cobwebs on a staircase could turn out to be an important if a suspect Mm. claims that the victim rolled down the stairs. There is no harm in having extra photographs, while it can be potentially devastating to miss a critical image. In addition to the photographs, an investigator would sketch the scene and record exact locations of each item of evidence. Right, right. The sketch map needs to indicate north, and which that should be determined at the scene using a compass because, yeah. I mean, I don't, you don't use your fucking mind's eye, right? Yeah, no, yeah, right, right. So investigation investigators, they then make careful location measurements for each item of evidence from at least two fixed reference points using the tape measure or measuring wheels. In large outdoor scenes, a global positioning system or GPS can be used to determine these locations. Yeah, and there needs to be a scale on every sketch as well. It is useful to make sketches showing the locations from which photographs of the scene have been taken. And then really once the the scenes have been sketched and photographed and the locations of all the marked pieces of evidence have been thoroughly documented, investigators can begin to invasively search the scene. So it's at this point the investigators can start to disturb the scene somewhat in order to locate the hidden evidence. Close-up photographs must be taken of anything discovered during this phase of the search. Only after the scene has been thoroughly documented can the collection of evidence begin. The order in which evidence is collected is prioritized. Fragile materials are collected first. Then you move on to the most accessible items to the least accessible. Processing of the scene would also progress from less invasive to more invasive techniques. Invasive techniques include using powder to look for latent fingerprints or using chemical indicators for search of blood or drugs. Yeah, yeah. And then if possible, trace evidence should be collected prior to the use of fingerprint powder or chemicals since it might inadvertently be moved or contaminated by the technician performing the activities. So 
really the goal here is to ensure that no evidence is compromised by premature removal or treatment. And then once an investigator is ready to collect an item, they must start a chain of custody form or tag that gives a complete description of the item, the time, date, and location of recovery, who collected it, a case number, and the tag number associated with the item in the photographs. So if the item is large enough, the investigator will also mark it for identification, and then the chain of custody for, uh, form started here must accompany the evidence from the point of collection to the laboratory or storage locker all the way to the courtroom and must list every person who ever had possession. For anything collected at the crime scene to be admissible as evidence, it must have been legally obtained. Right. Um, so not taking stalactites right. from a yeah, cave right. in Mexico. Like that would, it would not, we, who couldn't, did that? we couldn't use that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, anybody. Yeah. No. All right. Well, well, okay. So the, but the origins must be identifiable by a crime scene technician and there must be an intact chain of custody. Right. So different types of evidence have different handling and storage requirements. For example, liquid blood stains should not be stored in plastic since they would immediately start to grow and mold and decompose. Mm. It's biological. However, sand and soil samples should not be stored in glass. <laughs> oh. Which is really funny because mm. yeah. you know <laughs> where where did you work? Yeah, you worked at Team. Yeah. And where did we, how did we send all our samples? In plastic. In glass. In glass. Yeah. Because glass, glass can shatter. Yeah. And then contaminate. But it also can let a lot of light in and that can change weird stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Mm. Okay. Uh, but many of the mineral components of such sample, they're harder than glass. And this is what we're talking about. They can break loose any minute pieces of the sample bottle. Wow. Um, we're talking about quartz, right? Mainly. Yeah. But, you know, this may make it difficult or impossible to separate any glass native to the sample from the glass introduced from the sample bottle. Items, they must be packaged securely and individually in order to prevent cross-contamination. So right. you would put it in plastic, like a plastic. Teflon or something, I mean. Some like yeah. thick plastic, but at least it would have a, a chemical signature that's pretty unique to that plastic oh, bag. Yeah. If you were, if right, you were like doing you, that. You would know if you, when you're doing the chemistry or, or whatever that, hey, this we know where this bottle came from. You may even like put a control wow. and mm -hmm. say like, hey, this is, these are the signatures I would get from And the only bottle. way they know this is probably from the hard way that- Oh, they screwed they up. Probably, yeah. They probably, yeah. someone yeah. got away because some of that glass yeah. got introduced into it. Absolutely. You would, yeah. you would not think about that though, like an average Joe. No. But, like, and you don't think about yeah, that? Yeah, put it in that thing. Even, put it in that Ziploc bag. Even on like, um, like chemistry or, or chemi like geochemical or isotopic studies, you, you have to think about that as well. Yeah, you you've got to know that like, hey, your background may have like your background like uh, data might have a signature of this bottle. So if you do see it, something so crazy in it, it's not. You have to be able to explain an anomalies. Is what what about saying. like, um, would the gloves come off in the samples? Like the. I'm sure it could, but again, it, it's the nitrile. So they yeah. know the, the isotopic chemistry, yeah. chemistry of those mm -hmm. gloves. Anything weird like that would. But the glass is weird because it's it's silica. made from silica. It's yeah. made from glass. So it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. yeah so, right. But I, I just even reading through all just the procedures, I feel like that's kind of like the methods part in any 
kind of study any that you study. do, like you have to have all of these things planned out. So it's not, nothing is left open for right. interpretation or chance. You have to be able to uh, describe what we're doing, in right? Case, so in this case, it's justice, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's, Vengeance. Yeah. 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 Vigilante. Justice. Right. Okay. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to ruin it, but I'm like in my head giggling this whole time because basically the joke about the movie is that Batman is always at the crime scene and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just like imagining in Batman. my head, like, yeah, Bat- yeah, yeah. Batman just like in the corner of all. That's these- not how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Give it to me. <laughs> Right. So bringing it back. So if, if, if items of clothing are being collected, each item should be packaged separately, including the shoes, i.e. the left shoe packaged separately from the right shoe. Mm. And all evidence containers must be sealed at the scene. So once an item has been picked up, the spot where it was located should once again be photographed. Once evidence collection is complete, the items will be arranged for transport to the appropriate laboratory for analysis or to a police storage locker. And the lead investigator would usually be responsible for authorizing the removal of evidence from the scene. And then the signing sheet forms another part of the chain of custody because the identity of every person transporting evidence is record as they signed it, right? So um, it is important to collect all pertinent information or evidence prior to the release of the scene. Once the lead investigator releases the scene, it would be most likely to take a search warrant to return, and any evidence collected later could be viewed with suspicion. For much more, for a much more authoritative uh, introduction to this topic, see Barry Fisher's Techniques of Crime Scene Investigation or a similar text. Yeah, right. So I, I think to like, if you were to do like one of your studies, Brian, right, wouldn't you want to take like too much information rather than being like, oh, fuck, I yeah. should have grabbed or like taking a measurement here or there? Absolutely. I mean, you and that's where I was talking about, like field notes are everything like you. You always wish, man, I wish I would have wrote that down. Why didn't I? Why didn't I sketch this out? Why didn't I like take another photo from a different angle of this terrace or whatever I'm looking yeah, at? Yeah, right. Because that your memory is not great. No. And then I, I even think I look back to some of my, like my field notes and I'm like, I wish I would have explained it a way that would make sense to me when I'm not in this context. Or like you're the future you. That, no. Yeah. That's what know, I'm saying. Like yeah. when I'm reading it, like I'm not really necessarily 100 percent sure all the time the context that I'm writing this because I'm just like kind of like, right. here's a little bit of note here. Here's a note there. But it's not really context of like, hey, this is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm thinking about. This exactly. is like blah, blah, blah. And it may like like in my like this past two weeks, like if I hadn't written a certain sentence down at one site, you know, eight days later, like I'm 200 miles downstream and now I've written a similar thing. If I didn't hmm. have those, mm-hmm. my correlation may, I may not have thought to possibly correlate something. Yeah. So it's so, weird. So I feel yeah. like a lot of, so what we're seeing here with the investigations is kind of what you would do on the field. So it's. Yeah. Description is part of a meth is part of the method. Yeah. And part of the scientific method mm-hmm. in itself. So. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole method section. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like your recipe. Right. Right. So, okay. So then on to a little bit of the types of evidence. All right. So pretty much anything can can be evidence. So common types of physical evidence include fingerprints, glass, documents, and fibers, plus biological and geological materials. So the items of evidence collected for a case and submitted for analysis are often referred to as the questioned samples. Hmm. The first stage of analysis for most trace evidence is identification. If the evidence provided is a white powder, what you is sniff it? it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does it you taste like know. diesel fuel? I know. wouldn't know what. I don't know what it actually smells like. Do y'all know? It smells good. But 
but I don't do that. Yeah, we wouldn't think you would do. No. That. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll stick but, to rocks. Like uh, okay, but Kaylinite. So yeah, I mean, I will put that on my tongue anytime. I'm down to do some anal see me. Anal see me. I'll do anal see me. Any anal day. see you later. <laughs> Keep me coming tonight. <laughs> okay. Oh, I want to get back to white powder. Okay. <laughs> Can I do that? Yeah. It smells so, good. Yeah. What, what is we it? gathered? Is it heroin? <laughs> Is it ground aspirin? I don't know. Or is it talcum powder? Oh, that's a Tal- clay. It's a clay mineral. Yeah. Well, or no, it's, it's, it's a, a hydrated metamorphosed uh, calcium something. No, talc is talc the is, it's a soapstone, right? Yeah, but it, it's a. Um, it is hydrothermally altered metamorphic. It uh, is. Basalt. Oh, it's magnesium. So it's MG3SI4O10OH2. So it's hydrated olivine? Yeah, basically. Yeah, he knew that off the top of his head. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I know. Fa- it's forsterite. Or is it phalite? Is the MG? No, it'd be forsterite. Forsterite. Yeah. So it's metamorphosed forsterite with waters. Hydrally thermal. A lot of water. That's crazy how you can see talc, though. The MG, SI, and O4, then yeah. how many waters? Lots. You can tell you a lot about what happened. Mm-hmm. Metasomatism. Metasomatism. Cool yep. One day you're going to get here, Carly. Or you're just like, oh, yeah, that's. That, that <laughs> but that was looks a good a lot that was, like, Yeah, so he, like. <clears throat> The SIO four that tetrahedron, right? What we talked about last week with the and wines. So you have yeah. like you have your either magnesium or iron or both. Usually it's both. It's you, the it's, solid solution, right? And so an MG dominant species of that would be forsterite. And so when you bring in water, usually it will be like in subduction areas, right? Yeah, you'll have a lot of water introduced and it gets melted and it starts to create other minerals mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of reading kids. It's good for you. Okay. <laughs> for Carly and reading. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Woo. So the next steps. Oh, the next step after identification is comparison, a determination of whether two or more samples could have a common origin, like with DNA. For geological materials, it is usually much more fruitful to approach this step by applying the principle of exclusion. Working through Ah, I got it now. Working through a series of steps to see if you can demonstrate that two or more samples could or could not have uh, the same point of origin. For example, if you have soil samples taken from a crime scene and from a suspect's boots, right. it's usually not possible to prove that they are from the same source. You would need some significantly atypical properties for that. Yeah, right. So instead, you determine whether they are excluded from potentially having the same source, i.e. could not have, or not exclude from having the same source, i.e. could have from the same place, right? So this this might seem like a strange semantic quibble, but it is actually a vital step in understanding the appropriate mindset for anal YSs. In this example, the soil samples collected from the crime scene would be called control samples or samples of known origin. The samples taken from the boots would be the question samples. In addition, for this type of investigation, alibi samples might be collected from alternative locations a suspect reports visiting. In this way, the the anal YS can determine whether the soil on the suspect's boots has more in common with the soil from a public park the suspect said they visited than with the soil from the crime scene. Actual. Actual. Over. (laughs) Forensic comparison sometimes starts with comparing the questioned control 
and alibi samples with reference to samples of known origin um, that have been extensively examined and are well documented. Yeah, I kind of think of it like, like a, the Green River Shale. Yeah, or I was just thinking of like um, when you control for samples, like right. you, you just randomly sample. A standard yeah. is a good like way to put it. Okay, Somehow. so this type of evaluation is used <laughs> to determine the key characteristics of each evidentiary sample. So the, the next step is to see how many key characteristics each of the evidentiary samples share in order to determine which of them, if any, are related to and to what degree. So substrate samples or background blanks are also sometimes needed to determine what might be unique about questions, samples, or if there are components of the sample that might somehow interfere with that analyst's technique. Right. For example, in an arson case or when investigating a suspected uh, toxic chemical dump, it's, it's important. <laughs> Sorry. To I took a couple of those today. Yeah. God. Me with the Is antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let her do a hot Carl. <laughs> no, do not. <laughs> But yeah, so it, it's important to distinguish what is in the background from what might have been added. It's not DEA approved. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But yeah, like what you got to distinguish what's in the background from what might have been added to the question sample. So there are two basic levels of comparison. The first is class comparison or determining that the sample is being compared from the same group. For example, if you determine that a blood stain is of type A blood, then you know that it comes from someone in the class of people who have type A blood. Duh. Yeah. So which encompasses around 20% 26% of the population. This result also excludes anyone who does not have type A blood or the remaining 74%. Most of the time, this level of comparison it's, is the best one to do uh, with geologic materials. Right. right. And this means you can identify a soil as a silty clay loam, um, but you cannot tell exactly which silty clay loam. That right. would stand to reason. Right. It, silty clay loam is a texture. Um, and that's... Well, it's, it's also on that diagram of... Right. And so that's... Quartz, clay, silt. It's a, uh, yeah, sand, clay, and silt. And so it's... It, it's called texture. And so it doesn't tell you anything about composition mineralogically or, uh -huh. or litho lithologically if you have like a, a coarse grain material. But yeah, so for geologic evidence, you would, you typically report that it, a sample was either excluded from or not excluded from belonging to a particular source or class. Yeah, right. But like the back to the right, it's just a percentage of how much of it the is, particle size. This is where like where I was talking about USDA classification versus USCS. So a sandy clay loam if you told that to someone that was a geotechnical investigator, they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because you would probably call that, what do we call it, a silty clay loam? You'd probably call that a sandy clay or silty clay. And that would classify differently, but it's a texture when it comes to soils. I was just thinking of like the, the taxonomical kind of just, if you were to put it through a sieve, right? How much of the particles is clay but, size, but you know, like silt at a, size, sand right. size? Yeah, but that's... That, that's true, but the classification scheme is different. So USCS would never say silty clay loam. It would say sandy clay or silty clay. Yeah, but the like fact MLCL. that there's just, but we're just saying it, there's no distinction here. So I would just say that it's a grain size. Like, how are they determining it it is, it's a silty it's, clay it's, loam? Yes, but it's... Because I just think loam is like sandy clay silt. It's like right there, almost in the middle of that diagram. It is. It's, it's just not um, acceptable in 
gradations. Okay, but we're talking about forensics. Right. And so I wanted to distinguish that, that like okay. you have different classification systems because we're talking about classifying materials, right? Right. Of evidence. And right. so if you have to characterize that, characterizing it correctly is a big deal. Right. I don't know. I, I've been <laughs> on this. I've been on this kick of like, you have to separate soil texture which is a silty clay loam versus it's see but when i think of the the textures of a soil i'm thinking of it is it platy is it tabular is it like that's a different thing that's structure so you would say like hey i have moderate my peds are weak to moderate they're fine to coarse and they're subangular blocky or angular blocky okay you're 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 talking usda language and it's i had to relearn all that and now it's like i forget what uscs like it's it's a battle of worlds yeah it's very weird and I'm sure um, these these investigators they are doing their own kind of. I wonder. I'm sure yeah. they're going to have their own classification. I'm sure, but I I think that that could. I think that USDA like them calling this a silty clay loam and then adding structure to it. Like if you still had a ped left on something. Whoa! What if it's they're looking for a pedophile and they have peds then, on the peds? Oh man, we got a problem. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we go. We go down we this go, rabbit hole. Yeah. So the, the second level of comparison is individualization. So oh, where I, it is possible to determine to a high degree of probability that the two samples being compared have the same origin or source. So this is how DNA examination works, right? So but it's rarely possible with a geological material. For DNA, you have a finite set of possible sources, the the population of humans, a finite number of characteristics to compare, and an ever-growing database of samples, and making it possible to statistically calculate the probability that two samples came from the same person. Right, so there, there, there are no such known parameters for geological materials, exactly how many different types of combinations of geological materials exist and where exactly they all are, nor is there a forensics database for that comparison, which makes it impossible to statistically calculate the probability of a common source. Can, that, I, can I cut in here? Yeah. 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 So uh, this is kind of like a question, but also a statement. So okay. I'm going to say it as a statement, but take it as, a, take it as a question. Okay. 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 I think what I had thought previously to like reading geology was that there was always just one chemical in something. It's or oh. not. I don't even know if it's chemical is the right thing so like for oxygen just oxygen is in there but that's not true it's like oxygen 16 the isotope oh, those are isotopes there yeah there's always going to be isotopes in or there. like when it's you say not, air it's just air i'm kidding <laughs> but, that's, but that's what i'm saying as a layman i was like yeah just air or just well, soil like right I, I would say like when you think of soil you don't think of all of the different particles that make up right. soil. and then what people don't really understand with soil too is that 50 percent of it it's air and water and what soil really means. So soil can mean, I'm going to do it again, <laughs> oh my God. USCS classification of grain size and gradation, or it can mean, let me put it this way, a river dumps a deposit, okay? That's yeah. unconsolidated. That's the deposit. The soils are what form on the deposit. Yeah, so it's unconsolidated. So that's... It's because weird. the soils come much after it can it can sit there untouched it doesn't carry soil the, no, the river soil, does. the soil is, is what it forms the yeah the the deposit is so you pour whatever if you poured some like sand and clay in here and you you let it sit that's the deposit right mm -hmm. but over time 
if exposed and in the earth, it'll develop soils. They're different. Yeah, it's not the sediment. Soil, like, that's why I hate fucking engineers, like, say, oh, the soil uh, classification is, like, clay, sand. I'm like, why do you fucking call it soil? <laughs> it it soil- drives me crazy. And they, they do other stuff. That, it deve- It's it's oh. the... Cause, it's like, weathering. It's weathering. It's from the... And it, it's from a top, it's a top down process. Yeah. So you can have like, you'll have your, your, when it's deposited, it's all C material, which means it's the parent material. It is what is there. But over time you'll have, you'll have leaching that happens. You'll have organics that grow on top. Grass starts to grow and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And you develop an A horizon. And then below that, you might have like a transitionary period. That's like a, a horizon that's called an A, A, C, right? Then you get into C. A, see, he's, then, he's just thinking straight up rivers. Cause there's usually like, Oh, not that, usually that's really old stuff. Stuff or a, in a certain no, situation. Oh, oh, just as any organic, it's the thin layer. But it, it yeah, it can, that it, has the it's all the organic stuff that like, dies on the very top. But you can then you have the A on top, and of it the depends soil. on where you are. If you're at like a place that gets inundated a lot and has a lot of organic growth, you can develop an O. But you don't always see that. They're not always there. Very rarely have I encountered an O in the field. <laughs> That's not what you told me. You had O horizon. <laughs> but no, like In they're not a. always there. I just, I want to go on that tangent for a minute. Okay. Well Sorry. then is potting soil like manufactured soil? Potting soil is different. <laughs> so, okay. So when you think of topsoil, that yeah. is the, that is the O and the A horizons. Yeah. It's a little mixed. bit of organics mixed yeah. with that A horizon where you do have some of that organic and you, it's mineral rich. It's the stuff that's like actively, like there's a lot of bi- biomes like going on in that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then if you were just in a hypothetical, perfect world situation, Brian, just you would have the O and you'd have the A, this which is, is the topsoil. Yeah, yeah. Then you have the E horizon, which all of that stuff starts um, the fiber material starts, uh, I guess, leaching its way out. This is a well-developed soil. It's well-developed. This, so this it's, must be older. The alluviation. So it alluviates. Yeah. It, it goes out. So it's usually like this, uh, like a lighter colored. If you look around when they're yeah. they're when they're cutting out yeah. r- crops out here, you will see like a sometimes a, a super light colored. That's because all the clay and other like fines like or... Um, or even like your calcareous material or manganese can leach out of that and it, it leaves only the quartz grains. Yeah, so it's it's soil all soil light. No, 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 it's still soil. It's oh. part it's of the soil it's, horizon. It's, it's, now you're getting into the subsoil. Like, right, you have the topsoil, you have like the solemn, it's like the A, yeah. the O, A, E, and B. And B then is, you have the C is some of the, is where it's partly altered uh, of your parent rock or material. Or it's the actual true sedimentary, like fluvial deposit. Yeah. So, but B is, is one where all that stuff from the E, like why it's all like nice and clear and clean, all the clays come down and, and they they fill in that B. Why do you hate down. clay so much? <laughs> Fucking annoying. Why? It causes a lot of problems. Oh, like it's hard it, to it, dig it in. Gets so into stuff. Or? No, no. But here in Texas, why the problem with clay is is that Smectite it shrinks. Series. Is the yeah. the shrink swell? So whenever it's you don't have water, it shrinks. And what does that do to foundations? Oh, yeah. And then what happens yeah. when you get rains a lot? It goes. Yeah. And then you just, goes the other way. And that's why your doors stick. That's why Dallas sucks. Yeah. There's a lot more like, I guess, Smectite wow. series, but more, more linitic clays. I don't like the word Smectite, though. Hate it. Can I keep going on a tangent? Is this cool? Sure. That's all I know. Um. Oh, you want more? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that landslide in Peru? No. That happened yesterday. And it like, Whoa. dude, I mean, it was New news. It was massive. It's nuts, dude. Like it's like the whole freaking side of a mountain is just like falling. And there's a line of like apartment complexes, like oh, all in its row. Man. 
Whoa. And there's pictures of them like breaking through holes in the house to pull them out this way. And to think of like that mass of stuff. Yeah, coming came down. down. It's it's nutty. It's yeah. nutty. All of it's nutty. And it's still there. Dude, like the, for one thing. For real. Like, like when you when you I'm gonna send you all a link of that that mudslide yeah, please in Peru. Do. Yeah. But yeah, so it's nuts. Man. And there was a seven point six earthquake in Japan recently, just Jeez. yesterday. Liquefaction over Crazy there. Stuff. Dang. Yeah. So so sorry, back sorry. so so what back into the uh into forensics, bringing it back to forensics now, right? Yeah. Yeah. We took a okay. tangent, but we're back. Yeah, we're back. We're <laughs> back. <laughs> Just went straight into it. <laughs> I, you wanted me to say something? I didn't know. So, yeah. All right. All right, back to forensics. Okay, so when you have a distinctive <laughs> sample, you can look at the ranges of common materials in the same general area. And if there are no other comparable materials, you can consider your sample to be normatively in individualized. Mm. Right. And, and before we go any further, good questions. That's Yeah, those were great. I liked that <gasps> tangent. Yeah. Thank keep you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I don't know if y'all are... Please you know, ask all the questions. All the questions. That's yeah. why Yeah, that's why we're like, here. You've seen my kitten journal. Yeah. They're in there. They're in there. But yeah, <laughs> so... Um, um, most often, trace evidence units handle geological materials, right? So in practice, this includes not only obviously geological materials such as rocks, fossils, and soil, but also building materials, glass, potting soils, kitty litter, and the mineral components of pigments, inks, cosmetics, and other household products. According to the FBI Mineralogy Division Trace Evidence Unit, the work performed there is identification about 12% of the time. Right. Uh, class characteristics, 81% of the time. Provenance, um, that's so the determining origin source, right? Right. Um, and that's about 5% of the time. Fractography, that's studying patterns of breakage, usually to match them, 2% of the time. And body recovery, 0.1% of the time. The real point here is that forensic geologists have to be flexible. They have to be able to deal with a wide range of materials. Right, right, right. And I think before we go any further, we should mm. pay for our beach cleanup. Speaking of funding our beach cleanup. I okay. really wish we could right, do Minerals. Uh, minerals. Minerals. Mineral minutes. Mineral. Uh, mineral. I love minerals. Mineral minutes. Uh, minerals. Minerals. And this week's Mineral Minute is brought to you by the something-something Yakimovite. Yakimovite's chemical formula is UO28SIO4OH14 and 13 water atoms. Yakimovite is yellow in color with a vitreous luster. Yakimovite <laughs> <laughs> uh, is named for its typical locality, Yakimov, Karlovy Berry District, Karlovy Berry Region, Czech Republic. Yakimovite conchoidally fractures but has a good cleavage on the 101 plane. Yakimovite has a specific gravity of 4.79 grams per centimeters cubed calculated. Yakimovite streaks yellow. Oh. Yakimovite is monoclinic, part of the 2M prismatic class. Yakimovite <laughs> is biaxially negative with a 2V angle of 78. Stay tuned for next week's mineral, Zunacolite. <laughs> um. All right. Well, that was Mineral, Mineral Minute Live. So, <laughs> so what we were just talking about, now we're going to see how it actually helps solve a case, right? So forensic geology is really going to expose this massive cover-up. That's a, a drug cartel, CIA. He was murdered, and then they found out that, oh, man, they covered it up. But um, we'll talk about it. So setting the scene. Mexico City, July 15th. <laughs> 
the trial in Los Angeles of four men accused of involvement in the 1985 murder of a U.S. narcotics agent has brought to the surface years of resentment. Resentment by Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA officials of the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA's long collaboration with a former Mexican secret police unit that was heavily involved in drug trafficking. According to Drug Enforcement Administration sources and documents, the Mexican drug trafficking cartel that kidnapped, tortured, and murdered DEA agent Enrique Camarena in the city of Guadalajara in February 1985 operated until then with virtual impunity, not only because it was in league with Mexico's powerful federal security directorate, but because it believed its activities were secretly sanctioned by the CIA. Whether or not this was the case, DEA and Mexican officials interviewed for this article said that it said that at a minimum, the CIA had turned a blind eye to a burgeoning drug trade in cultivating its relationship with the DFS and pursuing what it regarded as other U.S. national security interests in Mexico and Central America. The CIA connection remains one of the murkier aspects of one of the mercury. The CIA connection remains one of the mercury. Mercury remains one of the murkier aspects. Uh, I don't like that word. Mercury. You're in the big leagues now, bud. The CIA connection remains one of the mercure. Oh my aspects. god. Okay. I can't say that. All word. right. Hold on, Brian. Watch mercure. this. Mercure. So the the CIA's connection remains one of the mercurier. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. No, I'm no. kidding. I was kidding. That was a joke. So the CIA connection remains one of the murkier aspects of a case that has bedeviled two Mexican administrations. The murder continues to strain U.S.-Mexican relations despite close cooperation by the Salinas government with the U.S. anti-drug efforts and record seizures in Mexico in the last 18 months of narcotics destined for the United States. Behind the case lies a tangled web of allegations about CIA's special relationship with an increasingly corrupt and brutal DFS, clandestine aid for Nicaragua's Contra rebels, gun running through Mexico, and the involvement of shadowy Americans in the Guadalajara drug cartel. Dun dun, this is all creepy. Besides the battered corpses of Jesus. Camarena and his Mexican pilot, <laughs> Alfredo Zavala Avalares, who was tortured and killed at the same time as Camarena, the case also has left a trail of bodies, murder victims, whose deaths have received little attention. Until Geology on the Rocks. We have... We, we, <laughs> Yeah, we, right. we're, we're going to take on. We're, the, wow. No, yeah. we're not. We're not taking on the drug cartel. We're just highlighting oh, forensic God. geologists. Now we're all going to die. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. It's a death sentence. Okay. More than a dozen persons That's connected to <laughs> the Camarena case have been killed in mysterious circumstances in Mexico since 1985, including three of the 19 defendants in U.S. indictment of several former key police commanders. Right. So others have been jailed on unrelated charges, effectively silencing them. So some DEA sources see these developments as part of a continuing cover-up of complicity in the case, which they say reaches into the upper echelons of Mexico's government and power structure. The DFS, an elite agency founded in 1946 under the powerful interior ministry known as, known in Mexico as Gobernación, cooperated with the CIA for years in monitoring Soviet, Cuban, and other East Bloc agents and diplomats in Mexico, according to former CIA agents and Mexican officials. CIA, CIA protectiveness of the DFS surfaced publicly in 1981 when the chief of the Mexican agency at that time, Miguel Nazar Haro, was indicted in San Diego on charges of involvement in a massive cross-border car theft ring. The FBI office at the U.S. Embassy here cabled strong protests calling Nazar Haro an essential contact for CIA stations 
in Mexico City. San Diego U.S. Attorney William Kennedy disclosed in 1982 that the CIA was trying to block the case against Nazar Haro on grounds that he was a vital intelligence source in Mexico and Central America. Kennedy was subsequently fired by President Reagan. At the time, Nazar Haro was heavily involved in drug trafficking. Witnesses in two U.S. trials have testified. By the early 1980s, the DFS also had gained a reputation as practically a full-time partner of the Mexican drug lords. In 1985, after the Camarina murder, the government disbanded it in an effort to root out corruption and repair Mexico's image. But many former DFS agents remain active, especially in the Mexico City Police Department. Right, and one of the most controversial witnesses in Los Angeles has been Lawrence Victor Harrison, an American who testified that he installed communication equipment, including electronic eavesdropping devices for both the DFS and the Guadalajara drug cartel in the early 80s. Yeah, and his allegations and testimony and DEA documents of gun running and guerrilla training in Mexico and the involvement of top government, police, and military officials in crimes ranging from drug trafficking to murder have prompted angry denials from the Mexican government. For U.S. law enforcement, especially frustrating has been the role of potential witnesses who vanished before the trial. A former police official in Mexico named Sergio Saavedra Flores. He's suspected by the DA of involvement in the Camarena murder cover-up. And according to a senior DA official familiar with the Camarena investigation, the CIA had infiltrated the Mexican drug organizations, and he was quoted saying, of course they have. They they look at it from the standpoint of the narcotics is related as national security, if you will, end quote. Yeah, and so to continue his quote, he said the traffickers were mo- monitoring the DEA and the CIA knew about it, but didn't tell us. They, the traffickers, knew everything we were doing. The only thing they didn't know was the information we had on corruption. And that's going to end the quote. So as proof of the monitoring, after the murder, the DEA received a voice-activated tape recording of the DEA radio communications that Mexican authorities said was seized from the traffickers. Man, yeah, so rightfully so, angered by the heavy losses in DEA instigated raids on huge marijuana plantations. The Guadalajara cartel kidnapped Carmarina to interrogate him on what the DEA knew about the traffickers' operation and high-level Mexican corruption, right? So this is according to the DEA. Yeah. The CIA declined as a matter of policy to address whether it had any relationship with specific persons or address questions about drug and arms trafficking in Mexico. Get out of here. Do you think they would deny any of that? policy red team that's me so cia (laughs) spokesman mark mansfield would only say that he wanted to emphasize in the strongest possible terms that the cia neither engaged in nor condoned drug trafficking nor did they participate in any cover-up of the camarina case the senior da official said that savreda is a cuban who came to mexico and rose to a high position in the dfs under the administration of salinas predecessor miguel de la madrid he became a special assistant to manuel ibarra the then director of the Federal Judicial Police. Ibarra was indicted in the Camarena case and has dropped out of sight. And then after the DEA complained that the Mexican investigators were treating Caro Quintero with kid gloves following his arrest in April 1985, Saavedra was brought in for interrogation. So a police source who witnessed the scene said that the drug lord was tortured by various means, including spraying carbonated water up the nose. So uh, they reported that they almost lost him a few times, right? So... I, so here's a fun fact. Um, when you drink carbonated water, you know, carbonated like why water. why it burns? You know, like when you drink Coke really fast and it burns? 
I just imagined a bunch or, of bubbles. Or when you, drink, when you drink <laughs> beer really fast, it kind of burns. Yeah. Like, right, that is actually the formation of carbonic acid irritating oh. your uh, soft tissue in your throat. Oh. So it's that car CO2 turning into yeah. uh, carbonic acid. Whenever I get, like, sick with mucus stuff, I always feel like I have to have a Coke because I feel like it's the only thing that cuts. Oh, that will help. Like, yeah, it. when I have, like, a cough, like, I'm like, yeah. Sprite. It does yeah. it. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, so... Would y'all, would you give up information under torture? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like I, so, okay, so yeah. here's a true story. So when I was a lifeguard at Hurricane Harbor, they have these emergency stop buttons, like on the, the rides, right? If someone, you have to, someone goes in, something happens, right? But you can just stop the ride. Well, on two separate occasions, on two separate feet, I have ripped up both of my pinky toenails, like just completely off. And now they grow in where they're split and the, the, the one that are on that like i guess the anterior like the market on the furthest away they kind of like spike up so they always get caught in my shoes still to this day and this is like 20 something years ago so wow. the torture you know you wouldn't i wouldn't oh. <laughs> yeah i would dude so like i'll sometimes with angela go get a pedicure but i'm like do not touch my pinky toes mm. at all like i still can't it's like oh my god that's <laughs> funny so i had an ingrown toenail and i had to go to the what is it podiatrist yeah. and get it cut what really like they will cut your toe so I have that on my big toe because of the lady didn't cut it right. Wow. Yeah. She ruined your toe. Yeah. Have you ever gotten like a giant ass needle in the bone of your toe? No. I was this close to passing out. Yeah. Like so when I watched like, what was it? There was a war movie. Oh, it was a police officer that went to Nazi Germany after the war. Anyways, they were ripping off fingernails. And I was like, Ugh, I can't, I can't. Because yeah. all I can think of is back to when my toenail got ripped off. And I'm like, Ugh. so back to the yeah. laboratory, the laboratory. <laughs> the laboratory of the FBI remains today one of the world leaders in both research and case examination in forensic geology. The 1985 disappearance of U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration agent Enrique Kiki Camarina and the subsequent investigation of his murder is an example of the laboratory's ability to provide significant evidence. Right. So now, whoops, we're going to go with how they solve the case. So although the U.S. concern for the for Kiki's disappearance elicited a Mexican government response of why are you so concerned about the loss of one agent when we lose over 200 each year in a fight against drug trafficking? Right. So it's kind of the FBI's uh, as they were, they launched the full investigation into Camarena's death. FBI Special Agent Ron Rewalt, a forensic geologist assigned to their Washington, D.C laboratory requested soil samples from the body of Camarena and from the location from where the body was discovered in the state of Michoacan. 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 But okay, there was an abundant evidence that the body had been previously buried and exhumed because body fluids from all sides of the body had become intimately intermixed with rock material. This rock material consisted of tan to brown vesicular volcanic ash and rhyolite fragments. Oh. Yeah. Soil samples collected at the scene were where the body was found in Michoacan <laughs> contained relatively coarse greenish to black basaltic glass thus the body had been exhumed and moved to a new location okay so you. different types of uh, material so with the assistance from scientists at the Smithsonian Institute the FBI forensic geology unit determined that the rhyolite and volcanic ash from the body were consistent with material from the El Tequila ash flow in Guadalajara basin approximately 100 kilometers to the north extensive field studies were made to narrow the location of the original gravesite several factors were taken into account in the search specifically the preserved ash flow needed to be at least six to eight feet thick with rhyolite present 
needed evidence of a, a recent grass burn because of the charred plant material and needed the same mineralogy and size distribution of the material collected from the body. Using those search criteria, the search area was narrowed and finally cadaver dogs were used to locate the original grave site, which contained rock and mineral samples that compared with the samples removed from the body. Yeah, so in this anal analysis, comparison was made involving over 30 characteristics. So the analysis of color was not possible because the material removed from the body had been cleaned in an oxygen plasma, thus potentially altering the color. So mm -hmm. what we're seeing that the studies contributed significantly to the development of evidence supporting a massive conspiracy among the, the certain drug traffickers and the Mexican federal judicial police to cover up the torture and murder of Agent Camarena. That's very strange that the color comparison was not well possible well because the the plasma that they use like the cleaning of it it, it but why like why would they not leave a little bit like just like we talked about earlier you need a background sample like in any investigation i think do. on the body what they cleaned the body with like the the juices and all that sure. stuff kind of altered the color but not the chemical color is never a good indicator when it comes to like minerals right because not minerals but when you come to soils it's a big deal oh here we go <laughs> it is so, like, so think about this so if you have a young soil you are going to be in like a tent remember the old munsell charts what would a young soil sound like or what would it look like what would it sound like i don't know someone that liked a lot of yellow brown yellow brown what do you what they would sound like that's what they sound like and an older soil would be why are you yelling brown. you're a foot from me <laughs> i'm just saying that i i i don't like that like why would you not preserve a tiny bit of that before you clean the body take some of the sample that's that's ill practice right yeah so you need a control on color to if you're gonna go compare this to a geologic stratum why not keep some of that pre-cleaned yeah i'm not i'm not sure you weren't there we weren't there yeah we would have done a different job i guess so but but color yes he's correct color does not is not an it does not identify a mineral or a rock but in soil it can tell you a lot about age right and it can but tell if you it's like mixed how long with blood and body fluids though is that gonna you would see like some modeling Right. Like, and you'd, you'd be able to see natural versus like modeled material. Right. Yeah. Like we, we were out there and we saw soil development on a deposit. Then we saw some very vertical modeling and we were like, you know, this, this is weird. I don't know. Are why you saying model like M-O-T-T-L-E? Yeah. Okay. Oh. And so that um, a color modeling. And so we realized like, okay, well, roots grew vertically in this and it allowed for, we found out reservoir had been on top of that for like 15 feet for like, 3,000 days in its time period of being deposited. So you would have leaching mm -hmm. in an, like induced and inundated by this reservoir water that allowed a lot of chemical reactions to occur along root systems. So color can tell you a lot about age and about what happened there. So I, that's, that's strange. I don't know. We should find out. Yeah. Cool. What if that could be our next career? What forensic geology? Yeah. Yeah. No, I would like to look at stuff under like microscopes, like SEMs. SEM was cool. Remember yeah. the lead? I do. Little white stuff. It was really cool. It was cool. Well, okay. 
So you were saying that like, uh, what? That the, you know, what I was saying is that, you know, the study contributed to the significant, uh, significantly to the development of the evidence supporting a massive conspiracy, right? So they used geology yeah. to prove the murder using the volcanic ash and the rhyolite in the body. And the difference and of the, the charred, basaltic. Yeah. 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 Because there, I think there were two different samples, so they could tell that it was moved right. to cover up this conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Mexican Federal Judicial Police faced uh, with mounting pressure from the U.S. government to investigate Camarena's disappearance, they conspired with drug traffickers to exhume the body, deliver it to a farm in the state of Michoacan. Yeah. Uh, then the Mexican Federal Judicial Police then raided the farm, killing all the occupants and Jesus. announcing... Oh, no. That those killed had been responsible for the murder of Agent Camarena. Oh. Evidence that the body was originally buried in the area of Guadalajara and then exhumed and dropped at the farm in Michoacan and exposed the deception of the attempted Mexican cover-up. And then after several years and numerous trials, many of those responsible for Agent Camarena's death and the subsequent cover-up were eventually convicted. Um, so if this... If this is the same guy that they mention in Narcos, they like peeled off his flesh what? from his legs and stuff. And I mean, like, that might have been the the pilot. He was tortured. But anyways, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude. I can't even. Yeah. So anyways, but that's how they um, solved that case is God. But like, I, you know, you probably wouldn't even think about that. Just dirt on a body. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because so it was like, on, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's significant. But would you think if like, oh, I picked this body up out of this grave. Like, would you think to, hey. Think that it hadn't been there? It hadn't been yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, but right, unless so like, you're like looking for it, right? Well I, well, I guess what they did is they made it look like they died in a gunfight with, you know, I guess they killed everyone on that farm. But then they saw all day. Wow. Hey, this doesn't look like the Why same. Why is there rhyolite here? Yeah. And you wouldn't like, even a bimodal volcanic regime, you wouldn't he, see it mixed like that. Yeah. Weathered material. Because it, it's not just, hey, you have these these chemical signatures. You have, this is weathered rhyolite, right? Yeah. It's been there for a bit. Yeah. Boof. Woof. But yeah, so that's yeah. that's kind of like full circle. So we talked a little bit about the, yeah. the forensic geology, kind of like step by step what they do. And you can see how the the methods really quite involved step by step detailing everything and then just a little case study of how they did it. So yeah. So until next time, let us remind you to Question. be cool. Stay tuned. And keep it on, on the, the rocks. rocks. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> He has so many tangents. <laughs> I don't know. Do they? Yeah. 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 I got it. So, uh, I wanted you to hear, like, the pause thing. To the moon. Say something. You should mix whiskey with your wine and see what happens. <laughs> you do you, boo. New you. Well, if you just, if you do anal, I mean, like, that's, I'll yeah. do anal. It's my thing. I like butts. You had O Horizon. It goes good. <laughs> but, you know, like, In they're not always. A. Smells good. I love hot Carl. It's so peaceful. Hey, I'm Carl and I'm hot. Okay, because I was going to ask, would y'all shit on me? Absolutely. Like, I would totally do it. Especially after drinking whiskey and wine together. Very rarely have I encountered an O in the field. That's not what you told me. <laughs> oh, it goes. Whoop. Keep me coming. Just flex it. I need to flex that thing more. Shit on me. Put that on my tongue anytime. Send nudes. Wow. Yeah. That's that's some SP sand. Say something. Something.
Oh, okay. Say something. I finished my antibiotics, so. She's like. There you go. With the with other two methodologically. Methodically. Methodically. Say something. I actually felt smart. Gloves. Gloves. Two more invasive. Uniformitarianism. Yes. Was it, is that, that, that's a fa it's face for forced to write. But Montmorland, Montmorland. Oh, what a horrible sound. <laughs> because I was reading about. <laughs> I suck. No. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay. It's, it, it's, 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 it, it, say something. I just read this and I was like. Man, it'd be nice if they put it like a north arrow. It is in this fucking <laughs> sentence. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay. I'm not meaning to laugh right after like serious. Yeah, like, way to go. Yeah, way to go. Say something. Wunch. <clears throat> I love wunch. 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 Ah. It's better than winong. <laughs> me choking. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I guess you didn't eat his lunch. Uh -huh. To imagine myself as an R&B singer. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like cocaine. I just like the way that it smells.